Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would open our eyes, that we may indeed see wonderful things in your law. Oh Lord, we pray that as we look at your word together, we may see that you are a wonderful God and that you're a loving God and that you're a merciful God and a gracious God. And so, Lord, we pray that we would come closer to you as a result of looking at your word together and what it says about that incident that happened so many years ago with Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we return. We've been off on different tangents, uh, particularly we uh, had sermons relating to deacons and then there was church camp. And so it's been a little while since we were in Genesis 3 together. Uh, but we return there today and we're up to verse 5 of Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 5. So I encourage you to have a church Bible open before you. If you did not bring your own, open it up to page 3. And we'll be looking at Genesis 3 again this morning and particularly looking at the words of Satan. Satan has been speaking to Eve, having a little dialogue with her. So uh, this has happened after, of course, God has made the world. He made Adam and Eve, our first parents, put them in the garden. And then this serpent has come and has begun a dialogue with Eve, has begun to speak to Eve. And Satan has done a few things in his speech to Eve. He has questioned God's word. And we saw that in verse 1, verse 1 of Genesis 3. We saw that he said to the woman, did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. He got Eve to question whether God's word was indeed true. Did God really say that? And then he has been a blatant liar to Eve as well in verse 4. After Eve responds to to Satan, we see that uh, he then says to Adam and Eve, well, particularly Eve, we know that Adam is there because later verses says that uh, he is right there with her. But he says to Eve, you will not surely die. He lies to the woman about the consequences of sins. And that's what we looked at last time we were together. We looked at the fact that we will indeed surely die if we sin. And we have died because of the sin that we inherit from Adam and Eve uh, so many years ago. And so what is Satan going to do next? He has got Eve to question God's word. He has lied to Eve about the consequences of sin. What does he proceed to do next? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. He proceeds to portray God as mean and unkind. He seeks to portray God as mean and unkind, not by saying so directly, but by the words that he gives in verse 5 of Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 5, he says... For God knows that when you eat of it, eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan is speaking about that fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they have been told you should not eat of or you will die. And Satan says, well, you shouldn't eat of it, according to God, because he knows something that you don't. He is saying that God knows something you don't and that's why he told you not to eat of the fruit and warned you that you would die. And so basically God's trying to keep something good from you. There's basically a conspiracy theory going on with God. He knows something that you don't and that's why he's told you stay away from the tree. And there's benefits to be had from eating of that fruit. If you embrace sin, if you eat of that fruit then there are benefits to be had. And God knows about those benefits. And he's just mean. He doesn't want you to have those benefits. What are the benefits of eating of the fruit? 
Well, in verse 5, he says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. There's a benefit, that you will have eyes that are opened. Whereas at the moment, you're an ignorant person, and no one likes to be called foolish and ignorant, that there are things that you do not know. Satan says, if you eat, God knows that you will have eyes that are opened. You will benefit by becoming more knowledgeable. And then he goes on, verse 5, it says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. There's a benefit of sinning. You will be like God. And what is he saying then? At the moment, you're not like God. You're just a pathetic, mere human being. And isn't it terrible to be so far down on the scale? Whereas you can be like God if you sin. If you eat of that fruit, you'll become like God. Yes, you may be made in God's image, but you're not God. But you can be more like him if you eat of that fruit. And then the other benefit that comes with eating of the fruit is the last part of verse 5. It says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You will have knowledge of good and evil. And in some sense, you will be one who can determine what is good and what is evil. At the moment, you have to listen to God as to what is good and evil. But if you eat of that fruit, if you embrace sin, you will be like God and you will know good and evil. You will be the one who decides what is moral, what is right, and what is wrong instead of God. And so Satan's point here in verse 5 is that God is mean. God is unkind. He's got this conspiracy going. He's keeping a secret from you. And that is that if you actually eat of that tree, if you sin, it will benefit you. God is actually withholding from you the good things of this world by warning you that death will come. And remember, the death won't actually happen. I told you that in verse 4. You will not surely die. God is being mean. He is withholding good from you. And this is the tactic of Satan. He denies the pain of sin and he promotes the benefits of sin as though there are benefits to come from the pleasures of sin. And this is the tactic of Satan today. This is why I'm studying Genesis 3 with you, because we see that Genesis 3 is being played out in our lives again and again, in the lives of those around us every day, that we have much to learn from Genesis 3, particularly about how Satan operates. Satan still convinces people, many, many people, that God is mean, that God is unkind, for the same reasons that he gives here in verse 5 that God is withholding good things, that God is not the good God that he says he is. Instead, he's a God who denies us the good pleasures of this world. And so it's not surprising that we read that people say awful statements about the God of the Bible. Richard Dawkins, the prominent atheist in his book, The God Delusion, has quite a tirade about what he thinks of the God of the Old Testament, the God that we're looking at today in Genesis chapter 3. He opens one of his chapters with, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving. And then it goes on with a whole series of words that I just I couldn't bring myself to read the rest of it. He says awful things about the God of the Bible. He has concluded that God's law withholds good things from us. 
And he has concluded that God is mean, that God is horrible, and I don't want anything to do with that God. So there's people that say harsh things about God in very severe terms, but there's people who will be softer, but they still judge God's law in such a way. They still judge God's law and God himself, the great lawgiver, as mean as well. There's a journalist, Mencken, he described Puritanism with these words. Puritanism, I should clarify, because he's going to give his definition. Puritanism is uh, uh, described as uh, a group of ministers from about 1560 to 1660, and they loved to seek to be as pure as possible. That's why they were called Puritans. They loved the law of God, and they sought to keep the law of God as much as they possibly could, crying out to God for strength to keep God's law. And so how does this journalist define Puritanism? Puritanism, the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. The haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. That's what a Puritan is. That is what is someone who loves God's law is. It's someone somewhere may be happy, and I'm afraid that someone could be happy that that is what it means to keep God's law. It means that you cannot have pleasure, you cannot be happy, because God's law restricts you from the good things of this world. But are God's laws about God being mean to us and holding us back from pleasure? Are these two atheists right in what they say? Well, it's not true at all. God's laws are good and helpful for us. And it doesn't take much reflection upon God's laws to see that they're actually very good for us. And that if everybody kept God's laws, it would be a wonderful world that we would live in. John Lennon in his famous song says, imagine there's no heaven. But I want you to consider this morning to imagine there is a heaven. Don't listen to John Lennon, listen to me. Imagine there is a heaven where God's law is obeyed, which means there's no anger, which means that there's no being afraid of other people. No one gets angry, no one gets violent. You don't have to fear man in the way that you do if people break God's law and get angry and murder one another and are violent towards each other. If everyone keeps God's law, then there's no adultery, which means no sexually transmitted diseases and no people getting angry with one another for cheating or committing adultery. There's a heaven, there's no theft and... There's no locks in heaven. Wouldn't it be wonderful to never have to unlock a door? To never go, where did I leave my keys? Because there are no keys anymore. Because you're not afraid of anyone breaking into your home and taking what doesn't belong to them. Imagine there's a heaven where there's no lies and no gossip, which means you don't have to worry about what people might say about you behind your back and there'll be less family feuds because people won't be lying about you know what my brother or sister said? Even starts at a young age in the home. Lies happening about to mum and dad about what the other person did and there's whole big blow-ups in the home because of the lies that proliferate. Imagine a heaven where there are no lies. There's no fighting. There's no worrying about the gossip of others. And there's no covetousness. If people don't break the Tenth Commandment, tenth commandment and don't covet, there's no working out your heart and your body working so hard to obtain things, to own stuff that you don't really need, but you just covet them, you just desire them, and you want to be proud of them and exalt yourselves over others. And if there's no crime, 
there was no crime in Australia, what would that mean? Be no courts, be no lawyers, be no police. There'd be no defence force, particularly if all the other countries follow God's law as well. There's no need for such people. Imagine there is a heaven where God's laws are obeyed. Isn't it wonderful to imagine such things and to see that God's law is indeed good, that Satan is a liar when he says that there's benefits to sinning, to breaking God's law. But the thing is, we still sin. We recognise this morning that God's law is good and we think about a world where God's law is kept and we think that would be wonderful but then we'd like everybody else not to sin, but we still see ourselves sinning. Why is that? Well, deep down, we're still there with Eve many years ago. We're still judging God. We still think that there's a benefit to sin, that God is still mean in restricting us from certain sins that we would love to do and the knowledge that we would love to have from such sins. We still think God is holding us back from benefits when we look at his law. Just consider one of your pet sins. Some sins are like pets. They're not like wild animals that you fight against. You actually indulge certain sins. You coax them, you nurture them, you like them. We all have pet sins. Just consider one of yours. Maybe your pet sin is a lust for something a person who's not your spouse, possessions you can't afford, and you want that knowledge. Remember, that's what Eve was struggling with here. Satan is promising peculiar knowledge, special knowledge if you sin, and you want the knowledge of a sexual relationship with someone that you shouldn't have, or you want the knowledge of having particular possessions that you shouldn't have. Or maybe your pet sin is gossip, talking about others and having knowledge about others that you shouldn't really have. That's what Eve is struggling with here, is I want knowledge that isn't mine. And some people thirst for knowledge about others. They love to know everybody's dirty secrets, whether it be people that they know are actually in a relationship with, or whether it's just even celebrities. They read all kinds of magazines, finding out all information about people that they'll never meet. They just love to have the juicy gossip. They love to have that knowledge that shouldn't be theirs. Or is your pet sin a substance? Alcohol, a food that you overindulge in, drugs that you shouldn't take. You want to have that knowledge of that pleasure of the senses that you shouldn't have, that God forbids you from having. I'm not saying that you shouldn't eat at all, but there's a place for where we overindulge, where we are greedy and we're seeking to have knowledge that we shouldn't by consuming certain substances. Or maybe your pet sin. The one that you indulge is a TV show that you know God wouldn't approve of you watching. But you love the knowledge of that TV show. You love to see the things that they say and do on that television screen. Or maybe it's a book series that you read and you know that God would not be happy with the content in that book series, but you just can't help yourself. You want the knowledge of those characters and what they get up to. Or maybe it's a video game that you know God would not be happy with, the violence that may be in it coarse language that may come through it. Video games are getting more and more explicit and God would not approve of many that are on the shelves 
and that are in the machines of people being displayed on their screen. And maybe that's your pet sin. You love that video game. You know God doesn't approve of it, but you want the knowledge of that game. You want to know what it feels like to shoot somebody, even if it's just imaginary, and to see blood and gore go everywhere. And it's not a knowledge you should have. You know what you've done by nurturing such a pet sin? Deep down you've listened to Satan's lies that he told Eve so long ago. You think your pet sin will not bring pain. He said it won't bring death to eat that fruit. And so you think your pet sin doesn't bring pain. And you actually think that your pet sin opens your eyes to pleasure. That you will be like God. That you will decide what's right and wrong in your life. And you can approve of that book series, that TV series, that video game, the gossip that you want to have with some, about somebody else, that knowledge. You are like God. You want to be like him and have that sin in your life. And you think that God is withholding pleasure from you by restricting you from that sin and that he is mean for doing so. That's what you do every time you nurture a pet sin, a sin that you know is wrong, but you keep on doing it. You are thinking God is mean for withholding that sin from you. And so what are you like? Well, you're not like God. Instead, you're like a toddler, ignoring his mother's warnings that he shouldn't go near a wild animal, maybe a wild bear. We don't have many wild animals that we're particularly afraid of here in Australia, although some people seem to be um, think that Australia is full of nasty creatures. Yes, we have snakes, we have certain spiders that are very dangerous, but we don't have some of the big, um, larger mammals that eat you in other countries, like lions and tigers and bears. But in other countries, they do. And sometimes they're preserved and they're allowed to roam the countryside and, and you're meant to protect them and look after them. And I know in, in North America that that's the case with black bears, that there's these bears that are in communities and you're not allowed to do anything with them. Uh, you've just got to try and keep away from them. And you think of a mother who warns the toddler, if you see a bear in the backyard, don't go out and pat it. Don't do that. But what does the toddler think? It thinks that mum's not sharing a pleasure. Mum's a mean mum to not let me go and play with the bear. I want to know what the bear's fur tastes like. I can suck on it like I suck on everything else in the home. It'd be lovely to go out there and pat the bear. I want my eyes opened. I want, I have a hunger for knowledge. And it'll be a good thing to go out there to listen, to not listen to my mum. And I'll be like mum. I'll be in charge. I'll determine what goes on in my life. And so the toddler decides to go out and to pat the bear and make friends with the bear. Why does the mum warn the child not to do that? Why is the mum given the rule? It's for the child's good. Mum knows that it won't be fun to find out what the bear's fur tastes like, that the bear will hurt the child, and the child will regret the action, and as soon as it starts to get into trouble, it'll be calling out for mum, 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 mum. And so mum is a good mum for saying it's wrong. It's not good to go out and pet the bear in the backyard when you see one there. You're just a small, ignorant child, and I'm looking out for you. I know better than you do. Don't go out and play with something that you shouldn't, that will harm you. And so do you realise that it's a dangerous game that you're playing with the pet sins that you have? 
that you're indulging in something that will one day turn on you and hurt you very badly, that God knows better, that that pet sin is actually a wild animal that will devour you one day. You need to fight your pet sins, not play with them, not enjoy them, not think that God is mean for not letting you be involved with them because God is a good parent who gives us his law to restrict us from danger, not from pleasure, from danger. He's not being mean to us. If God has said don't do something and you can't understand why he has said don't do something, recognise that you're an ignorant human like an ignorant little toddler and your parent has said don't do it and you need to just trust that your parent knows better than you do. Even if it looks like a lot of fun doing what God has forbidden. When we spot sin in our lives, we need to stop behaving like rebellious toddlers and we need to humble ourselves before God. We need to repent to God for indulging in sins that are so dangerous for us. And we need to ask for his protection from such sins in the future and ask for his forgiveness for the times that we have indulged in such sins because they will come back to bite us. Unless Jesus is punished at the cross in our place, unless he takes all the times that we've rebelled on his shoulders, then we will find that sin does devour us, that Satan is a liar and we surely do die. Sin will hurt. So if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never come to God, if you've never said sorry to God, for your sin, that you need to do so this morning before the bear really does turn on you and bite you and bite you for eternity. And they'll be crying out, but there'll be no deliverance. But how if you are a Christian, you've repented of your sins in the past and you still struggle with pet sins, you still struggle with certain sins that you just love the knowledge of pleasure that they bring. How can you overcome that? How can you break the cycle? Yes, you repent to God, but I just love those sins. How do you break the cycle? Well, it's by studying God more to understand that he is a good parent, that he is not mean. God is not mean. He is the complete opposite. God is a just and good and kind and compassionate and loving and gracious and merciful God. He's not a mean God at all. How can you understand this more and more? It was by looking to the cross. As you look to the cross of Jesus Christ and what that symbolizes, you will understand that God is not mean, but he is the exact opposite. He is a loving God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where the Apostle Paul says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How has God demonstrated his love? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is a loving God, and it's shown by the cross. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God did not give up his own son, how will he not give you all things for you? Which means that whatever sin that is that he has restricted you from, 
It's not good for you. If it was good for you, God would give it to you. But it must be bad for you. And so you need to stay away from it. God is not mean. In fact, we're the mean ones to sin against him when he has been so good to us, when he has been so kind, so loving, so gracious, so merciful in giving us his law and telling us, warning us, as a good parent would, stay away from that sin that you cherish. That classic hymn, Holy, 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 where it speaks about the goodness of God. It says, Holy, 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 though the darkness hide you, though the eye of sinful man your glory may not see, you alone are holy. There is none beside you, perfect in power, in love and purity. Interesting that verse. It says, Though the eye of sinful man your glory may not see. And that is the case for so many people. They've been clouded by sin. Their eyes cannot see the glory of God. And they think he's mean. When we understand he's perfect in power, in love and purity, we're the mean ones, not God. And we should listen to what he says. We should learn from Eve what not to do. We should trust God as the good God that he is and obey his law instead of listening to Satan. And we should counteract Satan's lies and tell others about how good he is. Satan's always out there whispering that God is mean, God restricts you from good things by his law. We should be the ones who know that God is a good God and his law is very good. And so we should tell others, don't listen to Satan. Listen to God. He knows far better than you do. So I encourage you, why don't you talk to someone at morning tea this morning about how good God is, how gracious, how merciful, how loving, how kind he has been to you, and how Satan is a liar. And this afternoon, I encourage you, spend some time in prayer talking to God about how good and kind and loving and just and powerful he is. And not listen to what Satan says about how mean he is in restricting you from sin. And this afternoon, maybe you can do both at the same time. You can tell people about how good God is and tell him in prayer by coming to the prayer meeting. You could come along and pray about how wonderful God is and other people can hear it as you pray. So you counteract the lies of Satan so long ago but are still being spread abroad today. People are listening to what Satan says and they love their sin and they think it brings them good knowledge when all it does is bring them death and pain and misery. Let's speak to God now. Let's pray to him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as a wonderful God, a God who is good, who is just, who is kind, who is compassionate, who is loving, is merciful and gracious. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for the many, many times we have doubted your intentions in giving us your law. We have thought that you were being mean to us in restricting us from the things that we would like to know about when we really shouldn't. Help us, O oh God, to know that your law is good and beneficial and that sin is always dangerous, that it's like a wild animal that will devour us. So help us to fight our pet sins, the sins that we cherish, that we indulge, that we overlook, 
because they're so much fun. Help us not to play with them anymore because we know that they will hurt us and that you as our parent have warned us against them. And so, Lord, help us to keep your law and not to crave knowledge that we shouldn't have. Lord, we pray that we would crave knowledge about how wonderful you are and want to get to know you more and more and more so that the pleasures of sin pale in comparison. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.